Pastor Kevin just read you a passage, and uh, I was thinking, as I was studying it, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that when God inspired the writing of these stories, he didn't just gloss over the ugly stuff. In fact, for me, that is one of the proofs that the Bible is genuine, that it is the real deal. You know why? When human persons, when people want to share their resume of experience, they usually are only going to share the best stuff. In fact, if you've ever developed a resume, you've only put on it the most, the highlights, the best possible stuff. But the Bible includes all of the unflattering stuff. The Bible includes all the stuff that you really wouldn't want people to know. Now, that helps me to trust it because it's honest. See, myth is only born of the best stuff, but God shares it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And how many of you know we all have good and bad and even ugly? Is that right? Yeah. But he inspired not just the best, but he documents the worst. People just like you and me. People that are under construction. People that are trying to be like Jesus but have major setbacks. People that are, you know, wanting to be godly but struggling in the process. People who are desperate to be like Jesus but always seeing that, boy, I've got a long way to go. How many of you relate to that sentiment? I've got a long way to go. Now, I thank God that he's the builder. And the scripture says that he is faithful and able to complete that which he started. That is a promise to you. He doesn't give up on you. His faithfulness is everlasting to everlasting to everlasting. Listen to me. God is not a man that he would just give up on you. God does not lose his patience. His mercy is ever abounding. And he is the builder of your life. And if God is the builder of your life... Who is the blueprint? Do you know? Jesus is the blueprint. God is slowly conforming your life so that you would begin to look like the person of Jesus. That you would become more and more like him. That you would trust him. That you would know him. That you would depend on him. Now, this whole series, Come and See, is all about inviting people into that process of becoming like Jesus, who is the Christ. If you remember in week one of this series, we talked about what come and see means. That it, come and see really is a phrase that was used by the earliest disciples to say, hey, come and meet this man who's changed my life, Jesus. And to create a place, an environment of come and see in our church means we want to create a place where people can come and think, come and observe, come and experience, come and get to know others, come and consider, could Jesus be real? We want a place of community. So if you remember in week two, we talked about what really produces a vision. And so we said, well, need does. Need produces a vision and people produce a vision as they respond to God's call. Week three, we talked about a positive faith environment and what that looks like. That we can't cause the growth. How many of you know we can't cause people to grow? Is that right? Amen. But we can create an environment where growth is possible. But who causes the growth? God causes the growth. And so we're saying as a church, you know, we're endeavoring on this major campaign, a $4.5 million campaign. That is a lot of money. Everybody say a lot of money. It is. It is like a lot of money. 
And uh, so we're endeavoring on this $4.5 million campaign to do some campus transformation and expansion to create greater community, greater accessibility, greater outreach, including the coffee shop, but lots of space for people to meet and fellowship and come and see the difference Jesus can make in your life. Now, in our final week, last week, it was our commitment weekend, and I asked you if you would come last week prepared to fill out this commitment card and make a three-year pledge uh, to, to help us pay for this thing. Remember I said the goal is that we can go, we want to go debt-free for this thing. And you remember we talked about how to get the job done. We said it's all loaves and fishes. Remember when Jesus fed the, how many? 15,000, that's right. Fed like the 15,000, and, uh, and we said all that we have to do is bring him our loaves and fishes. He'll compel each of us to contribute what his Holy Spirit leads us to do, but he'll always provide as we just surrender to him. And do you know, through commitments made as of last weekend, of the $4.5 million, we only have left about $800,000. So I gotta say, that's pretty amazing, and thank you so much for those of you that are pledged. Uh, if you still would like to pledge, we would invite you to, because again, we would like to do this completely debt-free, but, but I'm telling you, uh, it is gonna be a powerful thing. Now, today, I wanna talk to you about dreaming dreams, because dreams don't happen without people. We learned that last week. Remember, when we were looking at the feeding of the 12,000, 15,000 people, there were 5,000 men, we said that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And he could have just snapped his fingers and solved any problem. But that's not how Jesus chooses to do things. Why? Because he's trying to build our character. He's trying to build your faith. That's why he says he loves you enough to include you in his work so that you would grow. Again, what is generosity about? God's not really about raising money. He's about raising kids. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. God's trying to get your heart into a specific place that you would really trust him with what you've got. Now, dreams, again, they don't happen without the people. I was thinking of the humorist, the writer, Sam Levinson, and he reflected on the experience of his parents. They had dreamed about coming to America. It's all they had ever wanted and he said, my folks are immigrants, and they, they fell under the spell of the American legend that the streets were paved with gold. He said, when Papa got out here, he found out three things. I'd like to share those with you. First of all, his Papa found out that, number one, the streets were not paved with gold. Number two, he found out the streets were not paved at all. <laughs> number three, he found out that he was the one who was supposed to do the paving. That's a true story. Dreams don't just happen. People happen to them. That's how God does business with earth. God says there is something about how I do business with humanity that I involve them in the process. I would say the primary reason is because God's trying to prepare you for eternity. He is trying to grow you into something and it requires your involvement. Now, in the text today, we're looking at Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah lived about 600 years before Jesus. He was in the middle of the Persian Empire. He was an attendant to the king. He was a cupbearer, which means he would drink the wine to ensure it wasn't poisoned so that the king would not die. And here's what happens. He writes, 
one of my brothers or some of my brothers came with certain men from Judah. He says, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile. They had been taken prisoner into Babylon. He says, so I asked concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province of Jerusalem who survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is what? It's broken down. And its gates, he says, are destroyed by fire. What happened? Again, the Babylonians have now invaded Judah. They've resettled most of the kingdom to Babylon. They've destroyed the city along with Solomon's temple. Everything is decimated. The temple is not being maintained. The sacrifices have ceased. The Jews are now adopting pagan practices and they're no longer living as the people of God. Friends, listen to me. The people were without faith. The people were without belief. And they were without hope. Why? It's because of the tension of the way things are compared to the way things could be. And they felt this tension. You remember in previous weeks we said vision is born out of a need. A man or a woman who is consumed with what you see on the screen. The tension between what is and what we wish would be. Now, if you feel that tension, well, let me just ask you, has anybody here ever felt that tension? Sure, some of you have that tension in your marriages. Some of you have that tension for the own quality of your spiritual life in Christ. Some of you feel that tension as a parent or a father. Maybe it's in the workplace, but you feel it is that tension between, man, here is where it is, and this is where I wish it were. And if that's you, I'm telling you, you are a candidate for a dream, and so I want to talk to you about two things today, really, very quickly. I want to talk to you about how you discover dreams, dream discovery, as we see from Nehemiah, and then I want to talk to you about dream delivery. How does it really happen? So let's begin with discovery. Sound good? How do we discover our dreams? Write this down. Here's the first thing you got to do. Just like Nehemiah, you've got to set yourself before the Lord. You've got to set yourself before him. Now I say that especially for all you fixers out there that you just want to get in and do something. Listen, don't get out there and do something until you've gotten before God and you've said, God, what do you want me to do? What does Nehemiah say? He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, look, guys, this is absolutely critical. Do you remember, right before we kicked off the campaign, we talked about a vision for the future, and we said, here's where we're gonna be going over the next several weeks, and I shared with you a scripture at the time. It's a proverb. I don't know how many of you remember, but here it is. Let's read it together. He says, where there is no vision, the people... Now, sometimes... That word vision is translated, and rightly so, I said, where there is no open revelation, the people perish. Now, the reason I point that out to you is because when God says, if you don't have a vision, you're going to perish, what he's saying is, when you don't have an open revelation from me, he's not saying just any old vision will do. I mean, you may have some great visions. You may have vision boards of your career, and you may be into all that kind of stuff, however you're dreaming about it, but the reality is what God's saying is, you need to be getting the vision from me. 
You need to be seeking my face. The number one business that you and I have, if our heart gets stirred, what is the first thing that we do to discover a dream? Is we go to God. And we say, God, what do you want me to do about this? You don't just get busy. No, you go to God. Look what he says. He says, God, let your ear be attentive to me. Open your eyes. Hear the prayer of your servant. I now pray before you day and night. Now, here's what's fascinating about this case study of Nehemiah. Is if you look at what God did in his heart, he did something that he usually does with all of us. And that is, the first place he takes Nehemiah is not to the tension that's out here, but he takes him to the tension that's in here. He begins to have Nehemiah focus on his own sin. You know how I can tell for some people that they have a dream from the Lord? They're not quick to point the fingers at other people. Now I'll tell you, your dream is in the flesh if you're a kind of person that it's like, well, they ought to be and they should and they, and, and your whole attention is focused on what everybody else ought to be doing. And you're doing no scrutinizing of your own spirit, of your own condition before God. I'm telling you, that may not be of God. Because God is always going to direct you to you first. Before he directs you towards something else. And here's what he, and by the way, you'll see this pattern all through the scripture. I challenge you to start studying this. You will see it almost every time. So what does he do? He focuses Nehemiah on his own sin. He says, Nehemiah says to God, God, we have acted corruptly against you. We have not kept your commandments. Again, when I say God always does this, I want you to think, for example, about Isaiah. If you study the prophet Isaiah, and I encourage you to read this at home today, go read chapters one through five, and you're gonna see Isaiah looking at the people of Israel and saying, woe to you, and the surrounding community, woe to you, and woe to you, and woe to you. But then when Isaiah finally gets in the presence of God, he's no longer saying, woe to you, and woe to you, and woe to you. What does he say? He says, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. By the way, this man's a prophet. He's a pundit. He's a professional speaker. His lips were his best quality. He's saying, my very best is the worst. I am a sinner. I am broken before God. And I'm going to tell you, listen to me, friend. The closer you get to Jesus the more you'll begin to realize that. Some people say sometimes that, well, I became a Christian to make, you know, I wanted to feel good about myself. Wrong. There is a sense in which that's true because you're in Christ and you're accepted by God. But there is equally a sense in which when you become a Christian, you realize just how dismal you really are. Just how sinful you really are. And if you've not come face to face with that, Oh, friends, you've not experienced the presence of God yet. You might experience religion. You might get the chills during a worship song. But how do you know you've come into the holiness of God? You start to realize, I am, I'm dirty. I messed up. And I hope that'll happen to you. I look at the life of the Apostle Paul. I said it's a pattern in the scripture. Look at the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, very early in his ministry, look at how he identifies himself. Very early in the start of his ministry, he says, I am Paul, least of the apostles. 
But then he walks a little longer with God and he sees himself as a little later, a few years later, he says, now I'm less than the least of all the saints. Then he walks a little longer with God. He gets toward the end of his life and what does he say? He says, man, I'm the chief of all sinners. Now, look at the progression. The longer he matured in the Lord, he goes from the least of the best to the least of the okay to the worst of the worst. Now, what does that mean exactly? Because notice, it doesn't say, I was once the chief of sinners. You notice that. He doesn't say, I used to be the chief of sinners. He says, I am the chief of sinners. Why? Well, because when you get in the holiness of the Lord, the standard of excellence changes. You don't change, but you realize just how far you have to go. When you start spending time with him, I gotta tell you, let me give you this little illustration. I, I, I don't know if you guys know, but I am an amazing basketball player. Why, why are you laughing? What's up? I, I am an amazing, white men can jump, and, um, and I'm short, but I can jump, and, and, and I gotta tell you, when I play, when I play uh, hoops with my second grader, I kill him every time. My hook shots, my rebounds, my layups, all incredible when I play against my second grader. In fact, I tell him, you got nothing on me. I mean, he one time tried to do a layup, I swatted that ball down. I said, that's right, boy. But I'm gonna tell you now, if I went on the same court with the same ball and I played with LeBron James, what would I be? I'd be the chief of all losers. Is that right? Now, what's changed? Have I changed? I've not changed, but my standard of excellence has changed. What I'm comparing myself to has changed. And see, this is why when you really start to get in the presence of God, you start to shrink. A lot of people say, you know, I don't have a testimony. I don't really have one of those powerful before and after stories. Oh, no, you have a testimony. You are an idiot. You're living in your before and after testimony right now. If you're here and you say, I don't really have a story, I've always been kind of good, then what you are is full of yourself and your ego and you need to repent. Now you've got a testimony. I used to be full of myself. I used to think that I had it all together. Now I don't. Jesus has humbled me. Everybody has a before and after because we're all losers. And that's what you realize when you start getting in the presence of God. And you find that God begins to deal with you. Now that is the first step in the discovery of a dream. God's gonna, you're gonna feel all of it out here and God's gonna say, I need you to start focusing on this in here. Right? First step. Second thing in dream discovery, if you just write this down is, you've got to start paying attention to the needs that are around you. Look around. Because as I keep saying throughout this series, where there's a need... There's a vision. Listen, friend, visions are everywhere. Wherever you see a need in life, that is the potential for you to have a ministry and a vision. By the way, every homeless person you have ever walked by is a dream, is a vision. Their life could change. If somebody could jump in and help, if somebody could mentor, if somebody can help find jobs, if somebody can make the difference, every Every need you see in the community is waiting for you to say, what can I do about that? Not, what can the institution of the church do about that? You are the church. Amen. 
People too often, it's like, well, you know, the church should do this. Oh, and what you mean is, is that the church staff should do this. As if I'm not doing enough. What has to happen is, kingdom people step up and they be the church in the community. Now, that's what we've been inviting people to in Come and See. It is a response to an observed need. What is the need we're responding to? There is a need for greater community in the house of God. There is a need for people to share the gospel with each other, oozing hospitality like never before, because we have turned evangelism into a platform thing that the professionals do instead of bringing somebody out, serving them with hospitality of some kind like you did in the good old days, and just get to know them, and just spend time with them, and just share the difference that Jesus Christ has made in your life with them. That is a need. We have all this space to lectures. We have no space for the other. So we've said, let's, let's challenge that. That's one of, but I'm just gonna say to you, guys, you've gotta understand, people have been asking me for the last five weeks, well, why this dream? And I just wanna say to everybody as clearly as I can, this is just one dream. Don't you think for a minute that we've stopped dreaming Someone in here is going to help us solve the deficit of the $800,000. We're going to build this thing, and guess what? In a few years, I'm going to be saying, here's another dream. There are lots of dreams. I have a dream that our peace center would be fully outfitted and rebuilt for all social services to meet the community needs. That we are partnering with agencies, and we are making a difference for those that need the help. Those that haven't reached self-sufficiency. By the way, that's my background is social services. You can bet it's my hot button. That's what I spent a lot of my life doing is helping people that needed it. I, I, have, a dream, I have a dream that someday we could figure out a way to build a laundromat for people that can't, don't have washing machines. And we'll just, we'll, the church will pay the quarters. Just come and wash your clothes for free. I have a dream for permanent property in Kerman. We're meeting in a high school right now, and that's the best place to meet because the community knows where the high school is. But I gotta tell you, I've got a dream that somebody's gonna donate land or they're gonna donate money and we're gonna build a permanent residency for an explosive church out in that community. I have a dream for, I have a, dream for a fully integrated Spanish service happening here at North Point. By the way, did you know our highest demographic at North Point Church is Hispanic? If you ever hear anybody say anymore, North Point's a white church, I'm just going to tell you you're dead wrong. <laughs> Stupid thing to say. Stupid. I might be white, but I couldn't help how I was born. My apologies. I'm just saying to you, I want to see a fully integrated Span. I want to see a fully integrated Spanish church happening out in, happening uh, out in Kerman. I want to see the rest of our land used to develop a full-on sports complex. Because not only do I want to see a cafe happening, but I want to see a place where yes, pickleball and softball and park. I want to see families of all ethnic types coming and using our campus like they do parks. And I want to see a church ministry team that hosts birthday parties and loves people for their kids in the parks. I, I, I have a dream that, that, we, would, that, we, would, um, that we would begin to, on Tuesdays, uh, once this coffee shop is built, that some of you guys would get a vision to do Tuesday night as North Point Farmer's Market Night with the cafe open, and we're going to have Farmer's Market just like River Park on our campus inviting guests every Tuesday night. 
Now, I'm, just, I'm sharing dreams with you, and some of you right now, you're thinking, well, what about this dream? And you've got a dream in your head. Look, I'm just telling you my dreams. I expect that you should have some too. And they're going to be different than mine because God's made us different. But my goodness, if you can't come up with a dream, let me give you one. And would you at least join with the community to make it happen? What do you want your life to count for? I read a study that said that the average person's lifetime includes 20 years of sleeping, six years of watching television, five years of dressing and shaving. Oh, I hate that. I try not to do it. Three years of waiting for others. If you're in some households, it's a little longer than that. One year on the telephone and four months of tying your shoes. Get slip-ons for God's sake. No, I'm just kidding. When your life is over, what do you want your life to count for? That's the question. Now, how do you know when God gives you a dream, how do you know your dreams are worthy? Now, that is a great question because I ask myself that. People have been asking me, well, Shane, why are, you, why are we thinking this and why are we thinking, how do you know your dreams are, believe me, that's a prayerful question. That's a good question. Don't blame anybody for asking it. I'm going to tell you how I evaluate it. I put it in your notes. First question you should ask yourself is this. Is my dream based on timeless, proven, biblical principles? Let me be clear. The reason why I have this dream that we're currently going after together is because I recognize in the first century the way that evangelism was done was through hospitality. I'm trying to create a lot of space for hospitality. It's as simple as that. We don't live in a culture anymore where you readily invite strangers into your home. Anybody do that lately? No. I can't fight against that, but I could ride that cultural wave, and I can say, let's make space here at the church that's, that's just uh, objective, and you can invite people to, and let's do hospitality and community. I realize that the biblical way of doing evangelism is just to say to somebody, hey, come and see this man Jesus that's changed my life. You don't have to memorize a systematic theology and you don't have to know every scripture in the world. In fact, it's better if you don't know what you're talking about. At least that's humble. I mean, I've said it previously in this series, but people are looking for a Christian that when they're asked a question says, I don't know. Wouldn't it be refreshing to hear that? I don't know the answer to that, but let's figure that out together. That's a great question. Let's have some coffee. You get the idea. So, are there timeless biblical values that you're trying to aim for? Number two, do I feel my dream represents the very best that is within me? Why? Because you want to give the best to your master. You want to give the master, Jesus, the strength of your youth, the wisdom of your experience. You want to give him your physical best, your emotional best, your mental best, your financial best. You say, Pastor, why do you emphasize the financial? Because that's a God. Everybody else, here's what they do. They say, they say I'm not, I'm not going to give my, don't talk to me about money, I'm not going to give my money. Don't you understand, the reason you're so resistant is because Jesus himself said, money is the other God. You cannot serve both God and money. You will either love one or hate the other, despise one. And so God says, I want to know you love me by giving me that other God. That's why we always say around here, the most sensitive nerve in the human body is the one that goes from the heart to the wallet. And it's like, don't, don't, don't mess with uh, Pastor, I'll give you my time. I'll give you my opinion. Thank you for your opinion. Thank you for your time. 
But we get so itchy about that. Why? Don't you realize that there's no other way to say you really trust God for your life than to give him what you earn? That's the way you say, God, I trust you with what you've given. That's the way you recognize he's the giver. Next question, in my quiet times, do I feel good about what this dream represents? In other words, does God's spirit bear witness with my spirit that this is God's direction? Do I feel direction, purpose, challenge, and motivation? It ought to challenge you. It ought to excite you. It ought to get you revved up. Finally, last question, what do I need to start doing today to fulfill the dream? I'll tell you the first thing you should do. Anybody remember? I already said it. If you've got a dream, the first thing you should do is what? Go to God. God, what do you want to do in my life? I was thinking of George Sheehan and this quote. I'm going to throw it up here for you. It just struck me. He said, there are those of us who are always about to live. We're always waiting until things change, until there's more time, until we are less tired, until we get that promotion, until we settle down, until, until, until. It always seems as if there is some major event that must occur in our lives before we begin living. That is sad, but that is true for so many people. You just keep waiting. We just keep waiting. Dream discovery. Number one, you gotta set yourself before God, right? Number two, you gotta look at the needs. Number three, you gotta look for others who are gonna share in the same dreams. That's why I've loved the campaign because I'm looking to you and I'm saying, would you share this dream with me? I'm looking to you and I'm saying, boy, it's unbelievable what we could accomplish together with our loaves and fishes. See who else can join you. It's the reason why I gave you last weekend this week 10 reasons to be generous because we've got to be generous with everything we've got and we see who else is out there. The king said to Nehemiah, why is your face sad, he said. And Nehemiah began to tell the king and tell his friends that the hand of his God had been upon him for the good. And he began to share the words to the king. And they said, let us rise up and build. You've got to let others in. Guys, listen to me. You, you can't do it alone. Not even God does it alone. You realize that, right? God is the supreme example of a community. There is God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. They are in eternal community and collaboration with one another. And God says, you've got to imitate me. You've got to be like me and do it together. Now, that's all around dream discovery. Let me close real fast with dream delivery. Sound good? Everybody still with me? All right, got your notes? Write this, write this first thing down, dream delivery. First thing you always got to do is you always got to bet on God. Always bet on God. Why? Because God's bigger than the need. God's bigger than the challenges. Notice how Nehemiah puts it. He says, you are the Lord. You alone, you have made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all of its hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. Meaning, God, you're everything. Everything. And you preserve all of them. The whole hosts of heaven worships you. You are the Lord. You were the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur. Listen, you can have confidence in God. He is going to meet the need. Let me give you some propositions, in fact, that you can build on. I've listed these in your notes. But I want you all to follow me because it just makes, makes logical sense, doesn't it? Follow me on this. Proposition number one. 
How many of you would agree that God knows all the needs? How many agree with that? Go ahead and give me a show of hands. Okay, cool. Most of you agree with that. Good, good. All right, proposition number two. God knows what part he wants me to play. You agree with that? Does God know what part he wants you to play? Anybody want to challenge that? Okay, let's go to proposition number three. God is able to communicate what he wants me to do if we will listen to him. Who would agree with that? All right, good. I'm glad we're all together still. Proposition number four. What God communicates to me that he wants me to do, I am able to do, or he wouldn't ask me to do it. Is that right? Proposition number five. If it is of him, I must depend upon him in order to do it. In other words, if I cook it up, if it's, if it's in my strength, my power, yeah, I'm not going to get anywhere. But if it's his strength and his power, by the way, all we want is the glory of God anyway. If I step out in faith for the glory of God and a plan fails, I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over it. I'm going to tell you why. All I want is his glory anyway. If I got the plan wrong, may he correct me. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to step out and go for it. You know, I thought of this family this week when I was thinking about this, the Salvador family. And um, they have this incredible ministry um, uh, it, called Special Stars. And our children's ministry has this ministry called Special Stars. And I had sent her a question about her ministry. And she sent me back this email. She said, when our family thinks of the phrase, come and see, we probably think about it somewhat differently than you do. According to recent research, only 5 to 10% of the world's disabled are effectively reached with the gospel, making, making the disability community one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. We, like you, were blind to this just seven years ago until we adopted our daughter who, now, who has Down syndrome. We just didn't know. So they started putting this ministry together. And North Point now being a place where everyone has a chance to be understood and accepted, to come and see, and that there is a ministry where, like for example, on Sunday mornings, kids are buddied up with a buddy, and they spend the whole service with them and give them a lot of individualized attention as they have that need. We've got, it says, in the past six years, she says, we've grown to about 22 people with special needs attending in some fashion from the ages of toddler on up to adult. We have kids and students on Sundays with one-on-one -on -one buddies. We have a group of adults that meet on Thursday evenings to watch the chosen together. They get them all together. And, we, and then we have, um, we've had a women in Bible study, one deaf and one blind, but we get them in a women's study and hook them up with a buddy so that they can begin to grow. Or for example, I've told you about Dan Speth and his ministry. He's the guy that bought that amazing wheelchair to take people hiking. He's taken them on several hikes. Dan, he comes to me every weekend and he tells me, Shane, you're going to have to start a service specifically for those with life limitations and disabilities because we're going to outgrow the worship center. Bring it. Bring it. I pray for displacement. Great. We'll figure out that problem. That's exciting. But it's because of people saying, I'll dream. I'll dream. You always bet on God. Always bet on God. By the way, if you want to know more about that ministry, just write it on your connection card. Number two. Number two. Write this down. You've got to expect and embrace the challenges. Because what happened to Nehemiah? Well, he was challenged. It says when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, aren't you glad we don't have these names anymore? 
when Sanballat the Harnite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant of Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you were doing? They said, are you rebelling against the king? <laughs> and what does Nehemiah do? Does he just give up and say, oh, people don't like it, so now I'm not going to do it? I've had people criticize dreams I've had before. What do you do with that? No. Nehemiah says, hear, O oh our God, how we're despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. He basically says, God, you're in full control. And so what did they do? They begin to get into God's word, and it says, Ezra the priest brought the law of the Lord before the men and women and all who could understand what they were hearing. And he read it facing the square where the people stood from early morning until midday. And he said, all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And it says, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, who was the priest and the scribe, and the Levites, they taught all the people. And they said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They had been deprived of God's word. They come face to face finally with God's word. And what's happening here? God's changing them. And they're saying, God, we trust you. We trust you. We love you. Because that's what his word will do as you seek him. Number three, write this last thing down. Dream delivery. How do you do it? You make sure that you're doing it all for the glory of Jesus. Don't let that sneaky pride or ambition sneak in that wants you to make it about yourself. And please don't, please don't let your greatest dream be about how much money you can make or what kind of car you can drive. Guys, if that's your greatest dream, your life is going to be empty. Your greatest dream should always be about how can I affect the kingdom of God and change people's lives. Jesus said if you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else will fall into place. Amen. Listen, why should you be a dreamer? Because God's a dreamer. Who is God's dream? You are. Every time I ask you that, you should say me. You know what God's dream is? The church. The church is, God, Jesus is the one that made up the church. He's the chief pastor of the church. Amen. He's the one that invented it. And he's the one that said to the church, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying, you got the power of the keys. You get to open the doors or shut the doors. What are you going to do? Who are you going to be? Friends, I can't say this with enough passion to you today. Some of you, the sad fact is, is that your greatest dream is retirement. <laughs> That's sad. And some of you say, man, I'm just too old. You're not too old. Moses was 80 when he led 3.5 million people out of captivity. Did you know that John Wesley, the great preacher John Wesley, was on horseback and preaching at 88 years old? Come on. Did you know that Colonel Sanders discovered finger-licking good chicken at 70 years old? Huh? So I'm just saying, you've got to stop making excuses. And you've got to say, Jesus, what do you want me to be dreaming about? And how can I start getting in your presence 
and allowing you to do your work. Guys, you are God's dream.